Today is the 16th of August. It is day two of the trip. We are in Chandler's Ford, just outside of Winchester. Um, and I'm here. I've been saying your name, Shady. Is that Shardy, that's Shardy. fine. Shady. So, so many sorry. people do that. It's all right. My friends call me Shady. <laughs> I won't go into why. Hello and welcome to the Extraordinary Ordinary Women podcast, sharing life's adventures. My name is Frankie and this is a podcast where I interview extraordinary, ordinary women and non-binary folk as part of a 3,000 kilometre cycle around England, Wales and Scotland. Interviewing people older than myself to show that you don't just have to do it whilst you're young. You'll hear all about their adventures and what they get up to, as well as their answers to my big life questions. Like what does authenticity mean? Did you have a clear sense of direction through life? And what advice would you give to your younger self? This is episode four, where I speak to Shadi, Gunjavi and Connor. You might remember that after episode three, I left you cycling from Surveyor's house to Shadi's house. Luckily, I got there with no more bike trouble. In this episode, I talked to Shadi about starting mountaineering in her early 40s. Shadi has ticked off some pretty impressive peaks, despite a fear of heights. Shadi was the first person I interviewed from the post that I made on the Adventure Queen's Facebook page. I was so excited when she replied to the post, especially as her Facebook profile is full of mountains and all the news about her trip to the Arctic in 2022. We recorded this episode in her garden. You can sometimes hear traffic and people in the background, but it is very infrequent. I hope you enjoy this conversation and find it as inspiring as I did. Always forget to do this, but just before we start, are you happy to say how old you are? Yeah. How old are you? I have to work this out. 45. I say that because my children and Tim, when it's my birthday, they always say that I'm like a different age to to mess with my mind so then I forget how old I am so like the other week I told somebody I was 47 but I'm not I'm 45 <laughs> I don't really celebrate my birthdays Do anymore not? and like I celebrate my life but I just don't really celebrate my birthday why I mean I just don't really like I think I want to make every day special yeah so I don't really like the idea of making your birthday like this one day that has to be Oh, no, yes, no, I don't do that either. But I do celebrate it because I think I've lost so many friends along the way. I think, yes, I made it another year. Completely. I celebrate it with gratitude internally, but I don't tell anyone it's my birthday. Oh, right, okay. But because of that, I always forget that it has been my birthday. So I keep telling people that I'm 25 and that's not the truth. (laughs) Awesome, love it. For people that don't know you, could you please give us like a snapshot of who you are and what you do? Yeah. Who am I? That's the eternal question. I don't really know who I am, but um, in a sort of like summarised way, I suppose, um, my background's marketing and PR. Um, I got married, had two children and dedicated my life to charitable projects. Anything that needs help, I'm basically there. And um, I realised that I've run out of half marathons, tough mudders, and these sort of physical challenges that are like big, 
but I've been there, done it. So then I thought to myself, right, I've got to do something that's really out of my comfort zone, something that I really wouldn't normally do. So I decided to take up mountaineering in my early 40s, so not so long ago. I, I think I was 42, 41, 42, yeah, something like that. And so I decided I was going to climb Mont Blanc. I didn't know anything about Mont Blanc. I did basically just about knew where it was. Um, I had to raise £15,000 for the Teenage Cancer Trust and I trained to climb Mont Blanc. Arrived Mont, at Mont Blanc, realised that I needed crampons, didn't even know what crampons were, what an ice axe was, did that, raised the money, got invited to lots of schools to talk about this amazing quest of climbing a mountain, having never done anything like that. And then subsequent to that, I've climbed a few more mountains and I don't like heights I hate heights, I don't like the cold, and I don't really like taking risks massively. But I like the feeling of being out of my comfort zone and working it out. It sort of gives me wings and pleasure to sort of resolve a problem. And then when I attach it to a charitable project, it gives me purpose. So the reason why I'm doing it is for the charity, but then I'm gaining from it through personal growth so I've subsequently done Kilimanjaro I took a team of 20 novices with me I decided right I'm going to share the love and I'm going to place an advert and look for some women and take some women so I took these 20 girls and it was just awesome experience I've done Elbrus I've done the Matterhorn and yeah and basically it's gone from that to I'm going to the North Pole in 2022 wow I know so, yeah, so that's who I am. I'm just a normal woman who has two children and responsibilities but decided that actually my greater purpose is mankind and I like to share my story of having broken the mould because a lot of the people that I meet go, well, what about your children? You know, in fact, I have to say this story because last year, I think it was, somebody sent me an email saying your children are really suffering because you keep on going away and it came from a good place but when I asked my children look this parent at the school sent me this email saying that you're suffering because I go away they turned around and said no we are super proud you know you are like a totally unique mum most of the other mums stay at home or have a part-time job we like the fact that you go on these trips why would we suffer so I think people sometimes judge unnecessarily, perhaps. Um, but as a woman, I feel that I should do what I feel like I should do rather than conform, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I don't want to conform. Completely. <laughs> I literally don't know which part of that to dive into, but I'm going to go to the North Pole bit first. Oh, yes. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so um, there's a lady that I've been following for quite some time called Felicity Aston. You've probably heard of her. She's a scientific explorer. She's just a phenomenal woman. And she's very much about inspiring other women to reach their goals and the stars and not sort of aim middle ground. And um, she's run several expeditions that I've wanted to go on and just missed out. And I thought, right, this time I'm going to be quick 
and I'm going to apply to this expedition really quick. And so I applied and uh, she accepted me in the middle of lockdown, um, which was totally crazy. And, and the project's not just to go to the North Pole. You know, I said that my, my aim is to have a purpose in what I do. And this is a scientific expedition. We're coring the ice and those cores of ice are going to be used for science to see what's happening with uh, the sea ice. How long will the expedition take? So I think all in all, um, the training's probably 10 days or so, and then three weeks, yeah, door to door, which will be amazing. But what's really peculiar about this is that normally you go um, on a polar expedition and you start with a really heavy load and you get to your destination and you have no load we actually are going to start off at around 80 kilos and we may finish over 80 kilos because we will then put the ice in our sledges and carry it. Oh, so wow. it's not getting any lighter. And what's really awesome is we're six women. None of us know each other, uh, which is super cool. We've sort of met on Zoom like everybody else has been doing over this period. And um, I met two of them yesterday in London and it was just crazy. We're like, ah! And that we all get on so well, it's quite scary. Everyone's just, uh, yeah, really cool. That's so exciting. And no one's been on the ice before, other than Felicity, of course. So we're all, yeah, in it for the greater cause, which is climate change. And learning it together as you go. Yes, and then sharing it with schools and businesses and whoever will have us to share our experiences. So... Yeah. Amazing. And what sort of preparation are you doing now before that? Well, lots of seeking sponsorship because obviously it's an expensive trip. So going back to sort of when you first did Mont Blanc, yeah. doing it with no experience, yeah. how did you get into it? What did you do? Yeah, so I I don't know. I just That seems such a long time ago, Mont Blanc. I mean, I didn't even understand how layering works. That's how novice I was. You know, people are like mid-layer, top-layer. And I was like, what are you talking about? I just threw myself into it, Frankie. I'm sort of, I've discovered that I'm not a planner. I just go, I'm going to do something. And I say yes. And then I work out how I'm going to do it. So whether it be it the funding or be it how am I going to get there or what am I going to do with my children? What will my husband say? I mean, half the time... You know, a lot of women that I speak to, they say, well, you know, I need to check with my husband. Or I need to check with my wife. I don't do that. I just say yes immediately. Um, and then iron out any of the sort of asking questions later. <laughs> and then I think when you do it that way, you just are more committed to having to pull it off. Um, Mont Blanc, I just said, I'm going to climb it. I had to climb it. I, I was raising £15,000 for Southampton Teenage Cancer Trust. I mean... These are kids that are, like, suffering with one of the worst possible starts to life. And I just think, I've got to do something. And climbing a mountain, surely, is easy compared to their treatment. So the whole time I was like, right, get over it. You know, you're cold. Yeah, big deal. Get over it. You know, just this sort of internal com conversations. And then constantly telling myself, you know, what is the worst that's going to happen? You're going to go there. You might not make the summit, but you've given it a go. Would it not be worse to sort of sit back and go, I wish I'd done that, or I wish I'd tried that? So I sort of fuel myself with that. And uh, the Matterhorn, which is totally a different kettle of fish, 
that was raising money for the A&E department at Southampton General. So we had to raise a total of five and a half million pounds, half of which was um, uh, match funded by the government. But that was just, uh, that was quite hairy and scary, you know. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's not quite your Mont Blanc. But I went from that to the Maton. <laughs> yeah, and then you sort of get the bug and you understand the equipment and you realise that being outside is so much nicer than being indoors and that your mind just switches off when you're outside. You don't have to think about the small, inane nonsense that we fuel ourselves with up day to day because you're away from everything. And when you're sort of high on a mountain and you look down, you just realise how little everything else is, as you rightly know. So then I got totally hooked and, um, yeah, I thought, Elpris, yeah, why not? I'm going to go to Russia and I'm going to go North Face. I'm never going North Face on any mountain again. That's all I'm going to say. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a quite a step up, isn't it, from Mont Blanc? Yeah. Never put crampons on to Elbrus North Face. Yeah. So that's all happened in three years. All of all of what I've just explained to you has happened in three years. It sort of sounds like a bit of a midlife crisis, <laughs> doesn't it? Um, but, um, yeah, so Elbrus was good. We had really bad weather. We missed the summit by 100 metres because all our, all our water had frozen. I mean, we were in the mother of all storms. Yeah, we lost two team members in the sense that they had to turn back and that is really bad for morale. Yeah, we had no water, we were hallucinating. It was just one of those. And so we made the right decision to just call it a day, 100 metres from the summit, came down the south side, got into the hut and then thought, we're going to have a little bit of a sleep and then try again. We've got this tiny little window the next morning to try and... So that's what we did. But, I mean, it took a mammoth effort to do that because we were just destroyed. I mean, days upon days of not sleeping and being... Co- yeah. So did you do it again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you? Did yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. When you know how hard it is to get a visa to get into Russia, you would do anything to not go back. <laughs> I was like, I'm not coming back to do this. It was so hard to get the visa. So, yeah, it was unfinished business. Yeah, had to be done. Really, honestly, I can't tell you how deep we had to dig to do that because we were broken. And it was so cold, you know, minus 27 for days on end. You know, it takes it out of you having, you know, we're not used to that sort of conditions and then I think one of the things that holds me back a little bit is I'm vegan and on these trips of course you've become a bit flexitarian and then your gut isn't too happy with you because it's like what do you do so then it brings another layer of issues I get you <laughs> I'm usually vegan and just definitely helped myself to your chocolate biscuits oh right yeah that's the problem as soon as you start eating something that's out of your range I didn't know you were vegan I would have given you a vegan something or other I've got loads of things in the cupboard that's okay um wow yeah so how did you learn all those skills that you then needed for the north face um, I think just by um, doing other acclimatisation peaks along the way and certainly the North Face, I mean we had a really a two really good Russian guides who know the mountain and they understand what's going on 
But of course, because it's the North Face, you can't predict the weather. I mean, the weather window said it was going to be glorious and these sort of things you cannot predict. It was totally the opposite to what it was predicted. Yeah, I think just the mountains in between, that's where I picked up the skills. I think the biggest skill that you need for any sort of project is grit and that sort of tenacity to sort of not give up and to say yes. I think that's the big, that's the hardest thing. Once you've committed to doing something, you find a way of doing it. Anything in life's like that, I think. If you really believe that, you would say yes to everything that comes your way. I mean, it's not every day that somebody says, do you want to come to the North Pole? And you say yes. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do, how I'm going to train. I've got those two tyres. I don't know whether you saw them on the way round around the side of the house. That's for training, but I have no idea what I'm going to do with them yet. But I'll work it out. I've got two years to work it out. I think um, to anyone listening, I would always say, just say yes. Even if it fills you with fear, just say yes. Even if you don't have the money, just say yes. Just go and say yes and then work it out. It always works out somehow. Has the outdoors always been a part of your life? Yes. So I grew up in Austria and um, my parents used to, well, we used to go skiing every weekend. I mean, I was on the slopes. My first skis... I don't know how old I was, but I was certainly on the black runs when I was three. So, yeah, I mean, I was a really quite good skier. And then I've travelled quite a lot with my parents, and my parents really like hiking and being outdoors. I mean, nothing long distance, which is what I've got into. So I love anything that's endurance-based now. But, yes, I think from an early age, my parents would encourage being outside. And, of course, we didn't have the level of technology that kids have now that sort of distracts them. But um, even my children, I drag them out all the time and... um, try and spend as much time outside because I think it's just so good for your mind um, just not being stuck inside. I love being outside. So is it something that's always been part of your life throughout your life or has it sort of fluctuated? Definitely fluctuated. So in my 20s, no, not at all. It's sort of come out again in my 40s, I'd say, that I've sort of early 40s, that I've sort of started going back outside and doing endurance things like 100k you know running around the Isle of Wight or going from London to Brighton things like that I think some of it came from perhaps after having children as well because you obviously put on a lot of weight as a woman and you just think oh I need to shift some of this weight how am I going to do it and you start running and you know taking up a variety of different sports Um, one of the things that I was really keen um, doing before kids was diving so I've sort of been a diver throughout and done a lot of that in the Red Sea and lived out there for Tim and I lived out there for nearly six six and a half years in the Sinai Desert so yeah I suppose I've always been outdoorsy but more so now and more sort of extreme now but because I like that mental battle of wanting to give up and not giving up And have you ever experienced any barriers to get into the outdoors? No, not at all. I think um, the one thing that I've experienced, and this is not my own personal thinking, but I think a lot of the girls that I've met along the way that I've sort of encouraged to come on long-distance hikes with me, people always think that you need to be super fit to sort of do these sort of things, and you really don't. 
You just need a pair of good quality boots to protect your feet and just do it and keep doing it and not go from, you know, two kilometres to wanting to do 15 because they think, oh, I'm just going for a walk. It doesn't work like that. 15 kilometres is a long way, so you really need to build up on that. Yeah, I think uh, the any sort of barriers are in people's minds, but I've certainly not thought like that. I just think, yeah, just do it. It's fine. I see where you're coming from like a lot of people ask me like what sort of training I've done and how fit am I and all these things and at the start of lockdown I was doing a lot of exercise but at the end of lockdown I had a full-time job like like a over-the-top full-time job I just had no time so I'm not prepared at all Mm. I'm probably at the least fit I've been this year but you just get started and you build it up along the way and yeah it works out fine at the end it does yeah how have you found time to sort of fit it in alongside your children? I think this yeah. is something that we talked about a little bit earlier, but yeah. can you... So I'm really committed to it. So um, you know, like, how you might put an appointment in your diary. For me, my appointment's with myself, and it's in the diary. And you could contact me, and you could be the CEO of Land Rover, and you want to speak to me about sponsorship, and I will say to you that I cannot meet you at the time that in my diary I'm training. So that's how strict I am. I will book it in the diary and I generally have the mornings, hour and a half, two hours, whatever I want to do. And I've got a dog, so I've always got to walk my dog. And I'm an early riser, so I do like to be up about half five. I don't always do it, so lockdown slowed me down a little bit just because I became quite lazy. I think everyone became a little bit lazy just because, yeah, it's the way it goes. Um, But before lockdown, certainly, I was like 5.30 up. By 10 o'clock, I've done like a two-hour training and I've walked the dog, cleaned the house and, you know, done loads of things. So um, it's time to sit down and rest. So, yes, I'd say to anyone who wants to sort of get fit and feel physically well you need to make an appointment with yourself and not tell others what it is because often you might say to a friend they'll say oh you know are you coming for coffee after dropping off the kids to school or whatever it is and you go no I'm going to the gym and they'll be like oh come on you know and you think well no but if you don't tell them what it is no one's going to say oh come on completely and then when you're doing that you're investing and committing yeah to yourself yeah how do you fund these trips what do you do Mm. so I'm very good at getting money out of businesses really kind businesses who believe in what I'm doing Um, some of it's self-funded because that's the way it is you know I think often people think that these great companies out there pay for you to go on these trips it doesn't work like that most of my trips have been paid for myself And then my sponsors really are sponsoring the cause. And what they get out of it is the fact that then I go to schools and businesses and talk about the the trip and they get the exposure and they get lots of content um, that I just organically create for them, I suppose. I mean, I haven't got like hundreds of thousands of followers. I think I've probably got like 500 or 600. I mean, nothing. But I'm not actively looking to, to make that big either. Um, that's not what I'm about. I just like reaching people physically. So my passion are children, schools, physically seeing the children, talking to them about my trip, hearing their amazing questions. You know, they see me and they're like, you're so-and-so's mum and you're doing this. Wow, if you can do that, then I can, you know. And then the heads write to me and they're like, you know, this child who's very timid, he's 
uh, really got inspired by what you're doing and he's cycling for Macmillan, you know, whoever, and raising money for um, this amazing cause. And because of that, he's made friends because he's now got this passion, which is biking or whatever it is. And so that makes me feel really excited. And also hearing and seeing other girls that I know or I've met along the way who are like, Shardy, if you're doing it, can I come with you? And yeah, I think that's just perfect for me. So. It makes like a ripple effect. Oh, just feels so good. Yeah. Have you always gone into schools? How did you no, start doing that? I hate public speaking. I was going to say, because you talk about it now as if you're really confident it's the thing you love the most. What, how? No, I am all about doing the things that you hate. So I think anything you really, really hate, anything that fills you with fear is what you should be doing. That's a sign. For me, that's a sign. This is like going back to the mountains. I don't like heights, so I climb mountains. I don't like the cold, so I put myself in cold environments. I don't like public speaking, so I public speak. I don't really like to be judged, perhaps, by other women and things, so I put myself in that position. I just think, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. So all the things that I potentially fear and would technically really hold you back and go, that, that's not my safety space. I don't like being in the safety zone. I like being in this sort of uncomfortable space because it gives you wings. And then when you overcome that, yeah. all of a sudden you yeah. see all these other things that you can also overcome too. Yeah. Often that sort of um, the fear is actually just something that you've been telling yourself. Like, you know, the public speaking. I don't want to do that because I might sound stupid. Or what will they think of me? Or what if they ask me something that I can't answer? I don't know the answer. I go, I don't know the answer. I mean, so what? I mean, I, yeah, it's just our minds hold us back. I want to talk a little bit about your journey. How's your journey shaped who you are now? Mm. I've always been a little bit sort of a thrill seeker, I suppose. So it's not like I'm totally different to what I used to be like when I was really young. But the thing that I've really learned is, I suppose, not living in that uh, fear zone. When I was a teenager and in my 20s, I was all about planning, you know. So I'm going to, yeah, do my A-levels, then I'm going to go to university, then I'm going to, you know, get this degree, then I'm going to get this job, then I'm X, Y, Z. I think it's nice to have a little bit of a plan, but not a rigid one. And just go with the flow. Because ultimately, you will end up where you're meant to be. So this is where I was meant to be. But I wanted to conform and follow the system. My earliest dream was to be an astronaut. So that's what I wanted to do or become a teacher. Those are the sort of jobs. So um, think about it. Explorer, discovery, sharing, teaching, those sort of things. And really what I'm doing now is what... I was dreaming of as a child, but my dreams were sort of influenced by the adults around me with things like, you know, astronauts really not the right career for you because, you know, it's not really the right career for a woman. Women don't do that sort of job, you know. And teacher, oh, you can be much better than a teacher, you know. But these are sort of outside influences that come to you and you sort of go, well, maybe I shouldn't do that, but actually that's what I'm doing now. I am teaching because I'm sharing the lessons I've learned with lots of other kids. 
and I'm exploring. So yes, I'm not in space, but uh, somewhere very similar that's still on Earth. Yeah. It's interesting because it's quite similar to my next question. But Go on. Have you always had a clear path? Have you always known what you want to do? No, no. I've always felt like I'm, I'm, you know, seeking something that, you know. But now I don't so much so. I think this is what I should have been doing all along. But I was too fearful of the judgments and I suppose um, the what's, what ifs that we've spoken about. But now I just feel, yeah, this is what I should have been doing. And my family's super supportive. I mean, my parents think it's wonderful. And I think when you've got your parents' endorsement, that's good. To start off with, of course, they were really scared about different things. But that's their own worries as, as parents. And Tim's really supportive. I think if you've got a, someone in your life that sees that what you're doing fills you with, with joy and you're bringing good to others, then no one's going to stand in your way and say, no, don't do that, you know, yeah. And what inspired you to sort of make that decision and go for it? It was all the charity stuff. I was so passionate about raising funds for, for causes that really mean a lot to me that it's thanks to the charities, really, that I'm here, I suppose, doing what I'm doing because if I didn't have them, then I wouldn't have the perp- the real push to push myself into the discomfort zone because there's only so much you can ask people for money you know and if you're not going to do something completely different then you know people are going to go yeah how how many marathons are you going to run I keep on paying you to run marathons you know it just seems tough so yeah I think um it's definitely thanks to the charities um that I'm where I am and my passion to sort of change the world little by little do you always help the same charities? No. Or do you help different ones each time? So um, anything to do with children most of the time. So I've done Teenage Cancer Trust, Allegra's Ambition. And the one that I'm really sort of focused on is the Murray Parish Trust. And they raise funds for paediatric care on the south coast. So um, Southampton General. But that hospital actually serves the whole of South England. So it's a huge unit for, for kiddies. And I like anything to do with helping children because I think they're our future and we need to look after them. And do you know like a total of how much you've raised? No, not oh, no. I don't know the grand total, but it's in the hundreds of thousands of pounds. Yeah, yeah. That's phenomenal. Well, it's thanks to my supporters, really. I've done the easy bit. They've done the hard bit of donating and believing that I can pull it off. Um, what's one thing that you know about yourself now? that you wish you'd known earlier? Yeah, that is such a good question. What do I know now? I suppose that I'm more capable than I thought. You know, I think when you're young, you you think, oh, I wouldn't be able to do that, or I wouldn't be particularly good at that, or that's for someone else. And I now really truly think that we're all capable of the same things. I think any of us can do anything. We all sort of operate at 40% most of the time. And this is why I keep on saying to my girls, what do you want to do with your life? And they're like, oh, we're having that conversation. No, come on, what do you want to think about it? What's the craziest, biggest thing you could do? And I'm always trying to encourage them to think bigger and bigger and bigger, but in a way to impact the world, not in a sort of, oh, I want a Lamborghini and I want a this, that, you know. that That's just nonsense really I mean if that's what drives you then 
Well, that drove me when I was young too, and I reached those sort of goals, and you think, I still feel empty. Whereas I think when you serve others, um, you feel quite complete. If you're doing something for the greater good, that is a good place. And I would say to anyone out there who's sort of like in limbo and thinking, what do I do with my life? Think about what makes you feel alive and helps others. If you're helping others and it makes you feel alive, you're living on purpose and that's fine. And the money and everything else sort of comes naturally. Amazing. Thank you so much. I sort of move away and I've got a section that's kind of a little bit more about emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of want to ask you about like authenticity and your authentic self or your true self. And I'm asking this question because for me, I sort of, every year older I get, I get a little bit more like, I feel like I'm living closer to who I really am. And I look back at the past and I'm like, oh, honey, you didn't know anything. (laughs) Um, Can you tell me what authenticity or your authentic self means to you? Yeah. I think I look back at my youth and go, wow, that was a dress rehearsal and it was a bad one. But then I think my dress rehearsal made me who I am. So I wouldn't change it. But I mean, half the things I did in my 20s and 30s, I couldn't possibly tell you because you'd be so shocked at some of the stuff I did. I was completely the opposite to who I am now. But so my authentic self is... Go and sample everything out there. Don't say no to anything. Just do it. And don't worry about the consequences because that's sort of like creating foundations to your life and just live in it, you know? I mean, right now, I am, I suppose, yeah, my authentic self is now. But then I was back then as well, Frankie. I was doing all the things that I thought I wanted to be doing, but then I suppose it's like a meal. So you can't have the same meal every day. You have it and you go sick of it. Then you change and then you do something else and then you get sick of that and then you move on until you find that right balance. And so I found my balance now because I'm not yearning or seeking for something. I think you've done that a long time ago. I didn't do that. I think it can fluctuate, can't mm. it? Like you can spend a period of time where you feel really, as you say, just like you feel like you're doing the right thing at the right time mm-hmm. and everything else slots into place and then you go through periods where you're like, why is this not slotting into yeah. place right now? Yes, yes, you're right. You get And then you get frustrated and you think, why is it not quite working out? But it's there to teach you a lesson. You sort of need to find that lesson and then let it go. So I've sort of created rituals in my life, which I didn't have when I was younger. And those rituals, a lot of them are keeping, you know, what we're saying about the exercise, waking up early. You know, those little rituals help you um, uh, calibrate your compass in some way. So, you know, I don't eat animal products. And these are all things that I've discovered in later life. So in my 20s and 30s, I drank like a fish, I ate everything, anything, you know. And then 
over the course of time with a bit of education, whatever, I'm like, oh, do you know what? I'm just not going to eat these things and see how I feel. And then I'm like, wow, I actually feel amazing. Why didn't I do this ages ago? Well, right, okay, now I'm not going to drink. Wow, I'm sleeping so much better. Okay, and then I might get up earlier. So I cre- I'm constantly creating rituals, you know, um, to feel balanced. I think when you feel ba- balanced and you're grounded, that's your authentic self. Amazing. What does bravery mean to you? Bravery. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't know what bravery is. I always think that it's somebody who's quite bold and um, doesn't mind a challenge and is quite good at problem solving, perhaps. But, yeah, just living in that uncomfortable space is fairly brave, you know, and not worrying about judgments. Because we all do, don't we? We all do. I don't know why we do. It's so silly. So I suppose being brave is just, yeah, being yourself and daring to be different. That's fairly brave. And not trying to fit in. Would you describe yourself as brave? Oh, I think that would be too much of a large title for me. But I suppose a little bit, yes. I have my moments where I'm like, yeah, you know, this is okay. Yeah. Can you tell me about one of those moments? Where I was brave. I think Tim could probably tell you one or two. I think bravery and stupidity go hand in hand. In order to be brave, you've got to be a little bit stupid. Because if you're stupid, you don't worry about the consequences. And then that makes you brave. You just go for it. You don't worry about the safety net. Whereas I think... In today's world, everyone wants to know that it's safe. So bravery and stupidity are quite similar, and I'm definitely stupid, so I must be brave. (laughs) Is that the answer? I don't know where that came from. I'm not even drunk. (laughs) It definitely is an answer, but do you think, is there any moment in particular or a time in particular? Oh, all the time. I am stupid all the time. I do stupid things all the time. I mean, who in their right mind leaves their family behind and goes to the North Pole to do a sea ice research at the age of 45 when you should probably stay at home in the warmth of your house and look after your kids and uh, do a bit of work? Nope. I'm going to go and gather some data for the scientists so that we can save the planet. That's, yeah... And I don't know anything about polar bears, and I don't like the bloody cold. So that's stupidity, but then it's brave at the same time by doing it, yeah. Or climbing a mountain. Why would you choose to climb a mountain to raise money for a charity when, honestly, my friend Matt, who climbs with me, he's like, to this day, I have no idea how you climb anything because I can see the rope shaking. That's how scared I am. Do you know, I'll tell you a really brave moment one of my bravest moments I suppose so we'd gone to Switzerland and we were climbing a mountain called Peron and it's sort of like a you might know it it's quite a jagged mountain and it was like the final test before going to the Matterhorn and so we climbed the side of this really jagged mountain we reached the peak and it's knife edge you know really sort of up and down up and down up and down we got to the end of this uh 
beautiful mountain, which is on my screensaver, and I'll show it to you in a minute. And the guide tied into this bolt on the edge of the mountain, and he went, all you have to do, Shardy, is just lean back and just go down. Don't ask any questions. You love asking questions. Don't ask any questions. Just hook in there, lean back, and just come down. And he just went, and I was left there. And I was thinking, where has he gone? And I looked down, and he had literally gone down a few hundred metres. And I'm thinking, I can't do this. And how do I tie on? You know, everything went blank. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, I really need somebody to... But who's going to appear there? I mean, we are completely on our own. It's not a peak that people are going to. You know, it's in the middle of nowhere. Suddenly, what I would like to describe as an angel... He was not an angel. He was a human being. He was a man, a French man. He appeared. And I was like, can you help me? I have no clue what I'm doing. He was like, oh, big brown eyes looking into mine. He's like, no problem. I'm going to show you. And he he helped me tie onto this thing, lean back. And I, I have no clue to this day how I got back down. Seriously, I got down and my hands were shaking. But it's one of those things, you know, you have to be brave to get uncomfortable. If you get uncomfortable, when you get down from that uncomfortable space, you feel a million dollars. So be a little bit stupid, a little bit brave, and everything will be okay. And I will show you. Yes, please do. My screensaver. Hang on. I don't know whether you can see it. Amazing. What a beautiful place. It is a beautiful place, but it's one of my scariest moments. And that's why I've put it there. It's been on there for three years because I like that reminder of that uncomfortable space and that sort of um, thinking that you can't do something and just doing it and just going, what's the worst that can happen? And when you get over it, you've done it. That's it. And especially when you put yourself in a situation and then there's no alternative it's amazing how like you were saying earlier how deep you can dig when you've got to dig deep yes yeah what do you think happiness feels like Mm, you've really thought about your questions I think happiness feels like not looking for anything just being content with the tiniest little thing so In Hollywood, happiness is a Ferrari, a big house, holidays, servants, whatever, all those things. I don't think any of that is happiness. I think happiness is that, you know, sitting and just maybe watching the person in front of you or just gazing out of your window. You know, that peace, peace and happiness. I think if you're peaceful and content and not seeking and wanting and yearning, you are happy. Amazing. Mm. We are very nearly coming to the end of the questions. I've just got a few more to talk about. I'd quite like to talk about women and perceptions of women. Mm-hmm. I know it's something we started to talk about mm-hmm. earlier before the mm-hmm. interview, and I wanted to ask you the questions already, oh, yeah, but also yeah. I didn't want to jump ahead. <laughs> and then I'm going to talk a little bit about advice, and then we'll be coming mm-hmm. to the end. What perceptions of women do you think there are And how do you think they match up to your reality? Yeah. So, I think women are generally seen as weaker. 
not capable. They need a man to do things. I think that women um, sort of fit this category of, oh, you have to stay at home, look after the kids, that's your job. I think that often women are not heard and all of those tragic things which we see still to this day. And none of it's true, actually. I think women are quite dangerous in the sense that we are more than capable, way smarter. And, um, yeah, we do things with empathy and thought without even sort of planning it. Things sort of come from the heart. You know, we're we're dancing the dance of life without having for it to be prescribed, if that makes sense. Whereas a man's, you know, knocking a man, but they are quite linear. And we're not. And do you, so coming back to the outdoors, do you see yourself represented in outdoor media, so films or adverts or branding or TV, and what impact do you think that has? I don't know. I mean, I don't particularly want to be seen in those sort of arenas because it's not my thing. I'm sort of more wanting to inspire the normal woman because I think... You know, it's great to be an athlete and um, these, there's some great athlete, female athletes out there. I don't think they are particularly inspirational in the sense that if a woman at home who has never explored the outdoors and sees somebody who is an incredible athlete, the first thing she's going to think is, I can't do that. How can I? So then those limited thoughts come in. Whereas somebody like me who isn't any of those things and in three years has done the things that I've told you about goes to show that actually you can do those things. Yeah. Do it. Yeah, and I think sometimes people think that it's gobbledygook. They're like, oh, it sounds really good, you know, dream it and go and do it. But how? You know, and it's just like back to what we said. Say you're going to do it. Commit. Book it into your diary. Train to do it. Find the money to do it and just do it. I mean, just a small sacrifice here and there means that you can do the things that maybe your friends and you think that you can't do. And then I think it's really key to surround yourself with the right people. And I, and I hate to say this, but whilst I adore women, I think we can be our own enemies. So there are women out there that say that they're your friends. They are not your friends. <laughs> They are not your friends. They're the sort of friends you might go out and have a few drinks and have a nice time, but they're not going to build you and empower you. Then you have another set of friends that are your foot soldiers. They are going to put wind in your sail and they're going to say, Frankie, you can do, oh my God, I can see you doing these amazing things. Those are your friends. So you have to be very careful the company you keep. And what you share with who you share it. I think that's my biggest bit of wisdom that I've learned. Even to this day, some of the people that I really adore and I I love to bits, I would not share some of my plans because they will sabotage it without knowing that they're sabotaging it by saying, you can't do that because whatever, whatever. I agree completely and I think when we're asking people for advice it's important to sit, take a step back and think why am I asking them for advice? Quite often we go to people who we think are going to say no when we kind of want someone to tell us not to do it. Yes, yes. And I think some women, for whatever reason, 
don't want to see their friend be successful, you know, and it's just from a place of they're not happy with themselves, so they don't really want to see your success, which seems really cruel and mean, but they're not doing it out of malice. That's just the way they are. The things I want to do and the changes I want to make to this world needs people that are going to go, you can do it, Shardy. When I doubt myself and I call you and say I can't do it, I need you to be able to tell me that I can. Yeah. Amazing. Everybody needs that. Yes, definitely. Um, Do you have any female role models? Yes, I do. Sadly, she's passed away. So my ultimate role model, you're going to laugh, was Princess Diana. I adored her. And I went to school in Spain, um, to a British school, and I remember she came over to the Prado Museum, and the highlight of my life was that I shook her hand. So I was maybe eight or nine, and I was outside the Prado, and we were all putting our hands out, and I got to shake her hand. Yeah, I, I liked her humanitarian aspect. And the fact that she was quite a go-getter, you know. She wasn't prepared to fit the mould. You know, yes, I'm a princess, but I'm here to do a job. I want to make a change to the world. And I'm not going to live by your standards. I'm going to live by my own standards and my own rules. So, And so I think she was very brave. Is there any advice that you'd give to your younger self? Yeah, I think... um, What would I say to my younger self? I'd probably say just live your life. Don't plan too much. Yeah, and then don't look back in regret. You know, sort of, you know, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Oh, you know, don't do those things. There are lots of other pieces of advice that I'd give myself, actually. Let me just have a little think. I'd say just live by your gut. I know it's poor, but I don't really have any advice to give myself. I really don't. I don't think I do. I must do somewhere, but I don't feel like I do. Thank you so much. Usually, I would finish the interview there, but I skipped out one question. I'd really like to go back and ask you, so I'm going to go back and ask you there, and then I'll finish up. Okay. Have you ever felt like you're sort of going against the grain with your, like, lifestyle choices? And if so, how have you coped with that? Yeah, so... Yeah, I suppose I have gone against the grain, but I don't have an issue with it. I don't really care what anybody thinks at all. That's probably the advice I'd give my younger self. Don't care about anyone and don't try and fit in. Always, always dare to be different. I think being different allows you to grow. And I also believe that being different allows you to be happy. Because I think we all have a tendency of trying to fit into society and following structure that we think or we're told that is the way you should live. So going against the mould will inspire other people to also start a revolution within themselves of doing the things that they actually want to do that they're stopping from doing. Completely. I always think that the worst reason to do something is because that's the way it's done. Um, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I think you're awesome. Honestly, I wish I was as wise as you at, at your age of 25. <laughs> 25 and a bit. Yeah. I really loved that conversation, and I hope you did too. 
In the next episode, I talk to a great friend of mine, Victoria Teal, or Vicky, as I know her. And we talk about all things climbing and mental health. New episodes are out every Monday, so make sure you subscribe not to miss it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let me know. My inbox is always open. And if you'd like to help the community, you can do this by leaving a review and sharing it with a friend. Thank you so much again for listening. Until next time, keep on being extraordinary. Extraordinary.